Hey guys, my name is Tilda the Bookworm and this is my podcast about books. As you can probably tell because my name is Tilda the Bookworm. Insert fabulous hair flip here. So, today we're going to be reading the second chapter of 12 Minutes to Midnight by Christopher Edge, which is, I've read it before actually, it's a great book, although it's not really for younger people because it gets scary at a point. So, so far, if you've listened to my last podcast, which you probably haven't because it's only been played by four people, which is a lot for me because I'm a little 12-year-old nobody who nobody wants to talk to in coronavirus quarantine, but who cares about that? Who cares about 12-year-olds having one friend who they can continuously hang out with? I have more than one friend, obviously, but just one that I hang out with. Staring off into the distance, because my life is over after quarantine. So, last that we were... Okay, chapter two. I hired you to give a reading of Montgomery Finch's latest story, not start answering questions for every Tom, Dick and Harry in the theatre. The girl's emerald's eyes blazed angrily as she jabbed her finger at the author, who cowered in his chair, gulping his drink down greedily as though he hoped he could disappear into the bottom of the glass. And why on earth did you say your success was down to luck? This is the very first glimpse the world has had of the legendary Montgomery Finch, a man shrouded in mystery whose every printed word is dissected by the critics, and you make him sound like some Grub Street hack. But Penelope, the man interrupted, that pinstripe me with the notebook I thought he knew. He knows nothing, the girl snapped. She drew herself up as tall as her 13 years would allow. This, that journalist has been sniffing around the offices of the Penny Dreadful for weeks now, trying to wheedle in an interview with the elusive Montgomery Flinch, but I've always managed to keep him at bay. That's the reason I hired you, Mr. Maples, to give a carefully stage-managed appearance from Montgomery Flinch to promote the Christmas edition of the Penny Dreadful, keeping the reading public happy and to get the press of our backs. Penelope shook her head as she watched the actor refill his glass, the crystal decanter now half empty. If I hadn't jumped in while I did, Lord knows what you said next. Your resume stated you are the finest actor not currently employed on the London stage, an extraordinary performer who can bring a whole cast of characters alive. She fished a tattered piece of paper out of her purse. And I quote, With his superb command of the stage, Monty Maples gives you the entire theatrical, theatrical company under one hat. The young girl snapped her purse shut with a frown. But if the chaotic end tonight's performance is anything to go by, I might have to rethink our arrangement. Monty Maple seemed to shrink in his chair like a scolded puppy. You, you didn't like my performance? Penelope pursed her lips, the fire that had blazed in her eyes since she'd entered the dressing room slowly fading as she met the author's gaze. Monty's eyes blinked owlishly as if he was about to cry. I didn't say I didn't like your performance, she replied, her voice softening. It's just that when you go off script like that... We need to improvise more. Make sure you're ready for any eventuality. It's really important that nobody has any doubt you really are Montgomery Finch. Monty took another sip from his glass, lowering his gaze beneath his bristled eyebrows. But a trace of self-pity lingered in his eyes. The reading of his story itself, Penelope continued, that was rather good. 
The actor sprang forward in his chair, dregs of amber liquid spilling from his glass. Did you see them, how I had the, in, them in the palm of my hand, he declared, his voice gripped by passion as his voice boomed out with the same force I had on the stage. Did you hear the squeals when I described how he dragged the doctor's body into the depths of the moor, the blood falling from his fingers like flakes of a crimson snow? Penelope nodded, a small smile creeping across her lips. I knew that scene would get them when I wrote it, she admitted. Oh, and it did, Monty proclaimed, beaming magnanimously. And what an ending. I swear I could hear the tread of mouse as the audience waited for me to read the very last lines. Penelope brushed a crimson stain creeping up her cheeks. They did seem to like it, didn't they? Like it, Monty boomed. They're absolutely petrified. Why, I've never known such a reaction since my performance of the Scottish... A knock at the dressing room door cut Monty's sentence short. The two of them looked at each other, a momentary flash of panic passing in front of their eyes. There was a second loud knock, followed by two quieter raps. And then the final thud of a fist against the door. Ow, that was not the palm of my hand. That's not in the story. Sorry. Penelope's slender shoulders sagged with relief, and she quickly turned to open the door. Outside, a small... A tall... Oh, my God. Englishing today. Which reminds me, I'm learning Japanese on Duolingo. All I can say is fermented soybeans. Sorry, I'm completely going off track. Penelope's slender shoulders sagged with relief and she quickly turned to open the door. Outside, a tall silver-haired man dressed in a grey worsted twill coat stood waiting with his top hat carried under his arm. He peered down at her with a hawkish stare. Miss Treadwell. The elderly man gave a curt nod of greeting as he stepped into the cramped dressing room. Mr. Maples. At his appearance, Monty quickly straightened in his seat, pushing his now empty glass behind a vase of flowers on his dressing room table. Vase, vase, vase. I say vase. Behind the silver-haired gentleman, a scruffy-looking boy, his white shirt splattered with a web of ink stains, staggered into the room, carrying a stack of what looked like large paperback books in his arms. He spilled these onto the dressing room table before turning to Penelope with a broad grin of greeting. Here you are, Penny, hot off the presses. Thanks, Alfie, Penelope replied with a smile as she stepped forward to inspect the lightest, lightest, (laughs) latest edition of the Penny Dreadful. Pulling off his cap to reveal a tousled mop of blonde hair, Alfie turned to Monty, who was now perched pensively in his chair. Well, that rhymed. And your performance tonight, Mr. Meeples. He whistled. What a showstopper. I thought some of the old dears in there were going to kill right over when you read the part about where the doctor was pushed into the cider press. Ew, that's gross. Monty's reddening face broke into a relieved smile. Why, thank you, dear boy, he replied graciously. He flicked his hair from his face, his self-conscious gesture reflected in the brightly lit mirror. It was like capturing lightning in a bottle. I knew if I could just convey the power of Flinch's words, then... Ah, yes, the bloodless tones of the silver-haired man cut across Monty's self-regarding bluster. If we could first discuss your performance tonight, Mr. Maples. Monty glanced up fearfully, the smile quickly fading from his face. I don't believe that Miss Treadwell's unscheduled appearance on stage was at all to our benefit, the man continued, his forehead creasing so that his face remembered that of a benevolent troll. In fact, 
As her lawyer and guardian, I would assert that the further she stays away from the limelight, the less quick likely the chances of Montgomery Flinch's real identity ever being unmasked. Don't worry, William. Penelope placed her hand on her guardian's arm. Monty and I have discussed things. Teasing problems aside, this was a good start at Montgomery life. <laughs> oh my god. This is supposed to improve my reading. It might be making it worse. Teething problems aside, Mon- <laughs> Oh god help me. Teething problems aside, this was a good start to Montgomery Flinch's life in the public gaze. Monty nodded eagerly. I will polish my lines. Oh my god, I got like four hours of sleep last night. I will polish my lines, Mr. Wigram, he reassured the man. Practice countless improvisations. Montgomery Flinch might be the most challenging role of my career, but I assure you I'll give it my finest ever performance. He met the gaze of the silver-haired man, who was still looking at him in askance. Askance, not in askance. Oh my god, I can't. Oh, I'm so bad at this. Which shows why my first podcast only got four plays. But if I could just trouble you now for my fee. The lawyer's frown deepened for a moment, then he reached into the inside pocket of his jacket and drew out a crisp white envelope. He placed the envelope in Monty's outstretched hand. The actor eagerly tore it open and then blew out his cheeks as he read the figure written on the cheque. This will do nicely, he said, placing the cheque inside his own jacket and then tapping the pocket with a smile. Remember, Mr. Wigman cautioned. Mr. Wigman, Mr. Wigram cautioned. This is an opening opening instalment. As you continue to discharge your duties in the role of Montgomery Flinch, further payments will be made. A toast, Monty cried with delight as he reached her... Oh, my heck. Okay, maybe I am getting worse. I'm going to continue anyway, because you know what? Screw all the tongue twisters that exist. (coughs) Monty cried with delight as he turned back to his dressing room table, reaching again for the decanter. To the continued cess of Monk... to the continued success of Montgomery Flinch. Penelope reached out with Swiss fi- Okay, if you're religious, please pray for my tongue because <laughs> it's not getting any better. Penelope reached out with swift fingers and spirited the bottle away before Monty could pour another drop into his glass. I think the success will be best assured if you go easy on the toasts, she reminded him with a stern glare. Chastened, Monty nodded his head with an apologetic mumble. Behind him, Alfie failed to hide the smirk on his face as he took a sip from one of Monty's discarded glasses before grimacing in sudden disgust. Penelope turned back to her guardian. Is everything well at the office? she asked. After the penny dreadful had been bequeathed to her by her late father, following his sad passing alongside her mother in the northwestern frontier uprising in British India, Penny had single-handedly acted as the magazine's editor, lead author and publisher hiding her true identity behind countless pseudonyms. Everything is fine, Wigram nodded in reply. The final gallery blues for sight. 
The final gallery proofs were signed off by the printer this afternoon. By tomorrow morning, every bookshop and newsstand in London will have the latest edition of the Penny Dreadful on display, and by early tomorrow evening, it will have reached the provinces. The sales forecasts are very strong, especially now that Montgomery Flinch is promoting his work. The lawyer reached out into his jacket again pocket. The lawyer reached again into his jacket pocket, a new frown creasing his forehead. There was one item of correspondence that arrived today that I thought you should see, though. A most unusual letter addressed to Montgomery Flinch from one of his most devoted readers. Penny sighed. Ever since Flinch's tales of supernatural terror, terror, this is actually probably getting boring to listen to, had started appearing in the pages of the Penny Dreadful, a cavalcade of cranks, crackpots and charlatans had filled her letterbox with outlandish letters and telegrams. Just because Montgomery Flinch's stories told of strange and prenatural happenings beyond the mortal knowledge of man, these letter writers believe that Montgomery Flinch could help them to solve the unearthly mysteries that afflicted them. Afflicted. She took the letter from our guardian's hand with a weary shake of her head. This would be from yet another half-crazed reader who thought that Flinch could swoop down like Doyle, Sherlock Holmes and swore, solve whatever unfathomable, enig- unfathomable enigma was contained within the envelope. The postmark showed it had been sent from St George's Fields the previous evening, but as she slipped the embossed paper from the already open envelope, sorry, <coughs> She was surprised to see the official crest of the Bethlehem Royal Hospital on the letterhead. Bethlehem, or Bedlam as it was better known on the streets of the city, was the notorious lunatic asylum which housed London's mad, the ramshackle hospital south of the Thames overflowing with the tragic human waste of those who had lost her minds, their minds. As she began to read, Penny raised her eyebrows in bewilderment. Perhaps some of Flinch's readers weren't half crazed at all. Dear Mr Flinch, I am writing to you as I do not know where else to turn. The governments of the hospital will be alarmed beyond belief to learn that I had contacted you, but the sinister events of the past six months defy conventional medical thinking, and, though I fear to say it, convince me that some supernatural hand is at work on these wards. I have tried every conceivable remedy, sought help from many learned men, but to no avail. As an avid reader of your stories, I am convinced that you alone have the eldritch knowledge that will be able to cast a light into the darkness that has fallen over the Royal Bethlehem Hospital. I would value your assistance and pray that you come as soon as it is possible. Yours faithfully, Dr. Charles Morris, MD, FRCP, Physician Superintendent, Royal Bethlehem Hospital. As Penelope finished reading the letter, her fingers twitched. The beginning of a story started to take shape in her mind. This letter held the promise of a mystery, an astounding tale for Montgomery Flinch to craft. A, the gothic horror set among the barred cells of Bedlam, its corridors echoing with ghostly wails, a perfect story for the next issue of the Penny Dreadful. And here was the very excuse she needed to see the place for herself. An excited smile slowly spread across her face. Unaware of this development, Monty rose from his chair. Grabbing his top hat and coat from where they were draped across a mannequin, he ran towards the dressing he turned towards the dressing room door. He's run, why would he run? My friends, I must bid you bid you farewell, he said, raising his hat with a valedictory wave. The evening is still young and I can hear the sound of my club calling. Not so fast, Monty. Penelope's voice stopped the actor in his tracks. I'm afraid your evening's work isn't yet complete, she said with an apologetic grin. 
Montgomery Flinch and I have an urgent appointment tonight at Bedlam. So, that was the end of chapter 2 of 12 Minutes to Midnight by Christopher Edge. I really, really, really enjoyed reading that, actually. Um, and I think that that was quite... That chapter brought many twists and turns, especially for my tongue, and it was very full of suspense. So many liter- literary devices that I spotted such as sibilance. Um, dramatic irony in the very last pages and many others but i really enjoyed reading that and honestly i can't wait to see what comes next to my people the people who listen to four of my four people who listen to my first one of these thank you i guess and also please go listen to kid potter it's my friend fliss um she's not she said in the podcast that she's 10 she's not actually 10 anymore she's almost 12 so it's not like you're listening to some little kid um she's really great i don't know if she still has anchor or if she still posts but the few podcasts that she has done are really really good much longer than mine they're about 40 minutes long each and i hope you go and listen to them and i hope you listen to mine and i hope you like them and i hope that you give me an excuse to keep making podcasts thanks so much for listening bye